Uh, so the Global Leadership Summit team is out there in the atrium today. You can see their banner, and, and if you have questions, go out there. Uh, unbelievably cost-efficient way to have you and your team experience a high-capacity event. How many of you ever made a mistake text messaging? You ever done that? Yeah, everybody has. Here are a few that are priceless. Deanna texted, go to Home Depot's website. I need help choosing between two paint colors. Okay, what are they? Bear paint, either French lilac or mystic farts. <laughs> oh, mystic farts for sure. Ha, 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 mystic fairy, not fart. I just burst out laughing. LOL, hope the paint isn't scented. Uh, but moms, you may not know this, but you are notorious for sending some really memorable texts. Hey, mom, did you get the milk from Kroger's? Yepers, did you get the bread? Uh-huh. Did you get your son? I'll be there in 10. <laughs> from mom's cell, please stop changing the Google logo so much. I like the original one. Mom, I don't change the logo. Google changes it. On my computer, you don't run the Google? If I did, I wouldn't be driving a 2004 <laughs> Ford. Mom, text, do not forget to unload the dishwasher. Did you finish your homework? We have to go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. Dad and I talked, we're going to buy you a car next month. You are? OMG, thank you. No, we're not. I just wanted to make sure you're getting my text. That was cruel. That was cruel. Mom, text, what does IDKLY and TTYL mean? I don't know. Love you. Talk to you later. Okay, I'll ask your sister. This actually happened to someone in our church that I know of, but it's not a Your great aunt just passed away, LOL. Why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh, my goodness. I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. <laughs> Let's call everyone back. And this, this is my favorite one. Kit text. I got an A in Kim. WTF. Well done. Mom texts back. Mom, what do you think WTF means? Well, that's fantastic. That's what happens when old people like us try to be cool, okay? That's, that's, you're just setting yourselves up. We're not, we're past cool, friends. Many of us are past cool. Well, this weekend we're starting a series called Text Message, and it's about these little texts. You know, Romans, if we just had this powerful Romans, we would know what it is to be a, a person living in Christ, living and walking in the Spirit. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, these big letters, they are, they are fully uh, deserving of being called books because they have these big themes. But then there are these little text messages in the New Testament. And what we're going to find is they have very powerful impacts. And we're going to start today with Titus. Titus is the first one. Very short little letter that Paul wrote to a guy who really was in the position I'm in, Titus. He was an apostle catalyzer type person. And he was charged with going to the island of Crete in around 63 AD. Paul had gone there and established some churches in his missionary journey. And you want to know what Crete is all about. Here's, here's a couple picture, here are a couple pictures of Crete. Crete is located southeast of Italy and southeast of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. And um, has some unique characteristics. Look at this. Crete is, 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 a, is, a, is not a Gilligan's Island, okay? It's not this little remote island. It is, a, it is a large island with many, as you can see, many cities, many provinces. And Paul sent Titus there in the early 60s A.D. to say, I want you to establish, build up these churches. Now that's interesting because, uh, well, Wynn Collier, who is a Christian writer, he puts it well. He describes Crete. Crete was a thoroughly pagan society. 
a resort destination for aristocrats and financial tycoons. Drowning in greed and self-absorption, this small city island off the coast of Italy was consumed with the adrenaline rush of high stakes and fast times. If you weren't a power grabber and weren't used to playing rough, Crete was not your kind of town. The gospel held no sway here, and Paul, who always seemed to draw a bullseye on the unlikeliest of destinations, decided it was time for Christ's message to make its mark in Crete. Bringing Christ to Crete, this crooked place, was an amazing statement of what Paul does say in Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so he believed, like we do, that the Great power to transform lives forever. And so he started churches there and sends Titus there with nothing, with nothing, no resources but the gospel. He didn't have the internet. He didn't even have the New Testament because the New Testament wasn't written yet. He just had the message of Christ and these instructions we're about to read. Somebody once asked the question, if you were stranded on a remote island, what one person would you want to have with you? Be careful what you're thinking right now. God is listening to your thoughts. Uh, and somebody said this. Somebody said, somebody said, I want whoever packed Mr. and Mrs. Howe's bags before they took the three-hour tour. <laughs> and if, you're not, if you've never experienced Gilligan's Island, then you missed that reference. Uh, the idea is we would want someone resourceful, right? And it, you were going to need it because Crete was a wild place. Archaeologists have unearthed... Um, artifacts from Crete and have discovered that the tourism slogan in Crete was whatever happens here stays here. That's not true. Do you believe everything I tell you? That's not true. Uh, no, it was a wild place and I, I, just, I just can't emphasize enough how amazing this is that this whole reason this letter's in the New Testament is because for this message to go on, we have to develop leaders who develop leaders who develop leaders who develop leaders. That's what he does. That's what this whole letter's about. It's about, Titus, now you go and you pour yourself into people who will pour themselves into people who will pour themselves into people. And I needed you to do something with me right now. I need you to set aside your barriers to influence, mentoring, the Christian buzzword is discipling, which simply means mentoring, to leadership and listen to me. Because there's going to come a day in the near future with our plan to affect Dayton where we're going to need you when you're tapped on the shoulder to be an influencer, mentor, discipler, leader. And we need you to get beyond the crap that Satan puts into our heads about how we can't be used, we've made too many mistakes, we're... We're, we're, we don't have the competencies to do this. And listen to what I'm about to say, because today what I'm doing is I'm planting a seed in you that hopefully will come to fruition in a couple years. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, we need leaders. Or Titus, excuse me, we need leaders. And, you know, probably in the last 20 years around here, around this country, the greatest uh, leadership piece that's been written or book about leadership fits with this, and that is Jim Collins, the Stanford University professor. His book, Good to Great, was written a few years ago. And in that book, he talked about what really is described here in this text, and that is level five leaders. Anybody remember that from Jim Collins? And he talked about how level five leaders, these leaders who took organizations from good to great, were not these larger-than-life charismatic personalities. He said, no, level five leaders were people who 
were humble, reserved, mild-mannered, gracious, self-effacing, not demanding the center stage all the time. But these were the people that people rallied around and trusted, and they may not have looked like the the kind of person who would be high-impact leaders, but they were. And when Christ followers who were leaders and, and, and mentors and influencers read that book, they read it and said, oh my gosh, the level five leader sounds like who? Who does the level five leader describe? It describes Jesus. And that the person who says, I want to live my life as if Jesus were living my life, that's what it means to live like Jesus forever, that that person would then begin to have a level five impact on the people in their life. And when you do that, you're an influencer, you're a mentor, you're a disciple, you're a leader. And we're going to need you to get beyond, yes, I said the word, crap that Satan puts into your heads about your limitations and see yourself as that kind of person. Because we're living on the island of Crete. Have you noticed that? It's crazy around here. Everything nailed down in our culture is coming loose. And when we read in, in passages like this in Corinth, in Crete, we're reading uh, situations that culturally, contextually are so similar to ours, it's not working. It's falling apart. And the gospel of Christ and the power of Christ to save lives and families, marriages, communities is more needed than ever. And we believe in that. So Paul writes this. He gives his introduction and he writes these words, verse 5 of Titus chapter 1. There are only three chapters in Titus. I left you, Titus, in charge in Crete so you could complete what I left half done, appoint leaders at sometimes translated elders, which is really important, in every town according to my instructions, the instructions he's about to give. So let me frame this around three ingredients of leadership, mentorship, and influence. You ha for it to happen, you have to have these three things in play. Well, number one, A, you have to have competence. One, B, you have to have character. And three, you have to have chemistry. Now, what's different about that Many of us have seen this same triad presented. What's different about it is an auto list, you'll see character first, competence second, chemistry third. Why do I list it this way? Well, one of the reasons is this. Is in this letter, the question that you ask when you see these characteristics of leadership listed and this portrait painted, the question is, is are we to go find high character people and make them leaders? Or are we to go find people who have found their core competencies and, and make sure they have high character? I think it's the latter, not the former. And I think they're so intricately connected that to effectively lead in this era, your character is a part of your competence now, and your competence is a part of your character, and you really can't separate them. And so for me, I say this. Max Dupree wrote for me one of the classics on leadership years ago. I spoke about this in the leadership podcast recently when he said that leaders are people who have found their voice. In other words, the way we say it around here is they know their personality type, they know their learnings, they know their abilities and their yearnings, and they see those together and it gives them their voice, or what we would say today, it gives them their area of competence to influence. And Paul says here, you find people, the term in that day was elders. That's not, a, that's not an age mechanism, it is simply a competence mechanism, people who are looked to in an area of competence to lead. 
elders is not, you know, you got to be a certain age or you can't be an elder. Remember when you were 20 and you felt like people who were 35 were so old? I remember when my dad was 35, he was so old. And now old to me is 90. If you're under 90, you're a youngin', okay? 90 is old. If you're here and you're 90, you're old, okay? You're really old. But under that, you're not old. And so this confidence idea is not an age thing. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a do, do people look at these people and say there's a circle around them that they're influencing. And then he, so he says that. And then he says, but make sure that they have a character that is worthy of influence. Look what he says in verse 6. So he says, as you select them, ask... And this was a patriarchal culture, so he uses the male gender. We know that Christianity radically changed this to where women were leading. But is this man well thought of? Is he committed to his wife? So is this a person, a person of integrity that you can trust? If a person's not committed and, and pure in the most sacred vows of life, how can you trust them to be, sac- to, to be, to be trustworthy in the lesser vows of life? Are his children believers? Do they respect him and stay out of trouble? And this is, this is really important because right there he's already said, don't fall for the charisma trap. There are people who are charismatic and they're not worthy of your, leader, of your followership. But look at a person's home life. Do they affect their home? And this has to be a long, broad picture. I remember, I've read everything there is to read on Billy Graham, I think, and I remember so many times in the mid-60s when Franklin, his oldest son, was utterly rebelling against Christ, Billy Graham nearly quit ministry. He said, based on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, I'm not worthy to be in ministry because I'm not leading my family well. And his close counselor said, Billy, you've got to take a broad view of your life here. You can't just take this snapshot right now. You've got to take a big, long view of your influence. And today, Franklin is a huge impact for Christ. He came out of that and do you, would you agree with me? It would have been a travesty for Billy Graham to quit his ministry the last 40 years because of a, of a season of his life where, where his family had some challenges. Absolutely. But in the long run, does this person's faith work in their home? God does not expect perfect parenting. We would all be eliminated, those of us who are parents from leadership, if God said you got to be a perfect parent to be a leader. That, you know, like if I could have a camera on your house for five minutes, we'd go, man, she's not leading, okay? Ain't <laughs> no way we're going to let her lead. That, that, no, no. We, there has to be a broad view. It's important that a church leader responsible for the affairs in God's house be looked up to, not pushy, not pushy. The, the word there literally means not self-willed. Like they're always pushing their will, pushing the will. Some of us with a strong will know we can get things done pushing our will, but it's not healthy. There was a girl who came back to her mom, and she was engaged, and she came back to her mom sobbing, and she said, Mom, her, she and Friance had had a fight, and she said, I cannot marry him. We got into this deep spiritual conversation, and he said he doesn't believe in heaven and hell. And I can't marry someone who doesn't believe in heaven and hell. And her mom thought about that for a moment. She said, go ahead and marry him. We'll teach him to believe in hell. <laughs> there are people who can get things done, but it's pushy, right? And that, that's not leadership. Leadership is the pulling of the string, not the pushing of the string where it all gets messed up. 
not short-tempered, more, more damage is done by people who can't control their emotions, not a drunk, we're to be sober in our thinking. So scripture talks about this, this measured approach to any type of thing that would bring you out of sobriety, not a drunk, not a bully, not money hungry. There was su- there was it was like living in Vegas. If you're going to stand out, you better hadn't be money hungry. He must welcome people and be helpful. In other words, as a leader, one of the baselines of leadership: Do you like people? If you don't like people, probably shouldn't be leading people. Okay, probably shouldn't be leading people. But if you like people and you demonstrate that, position your life for influence. Wise, fair. Reverend, I love that word because it means you take your walk with God seriously. It's not just a religious game to you. Have a good grip on himself or herself. That means self-discipline. Have a good grip on the message, knowing how to use the truth to either spur people on, encourage, or in knowledge, or stop them in their tracks if they oppose it. Sometimes a, a leader needs to be the soft part of the rose, and you're, you're, you're encouraging. And sometimes the leader needs to be the, the thorns, right? You're stopping behavior. Say, hey, that's, that's enough. We can't do that. Now listen to me. This is not a checklist. This is a portrait. So sometimes we read this and we, you know, oh, oh, Sally has nine out of ten, but she doesn't have that tenth one, so she's out. I literally was a part of a church one time where that was the case. I mean, the Apostle Paul could not have been a leader in this church because they saw this as a checklist, whereas this is a portrait, and the portrait is the result of the first statement, must be well thought of. The word is a blameless life above reproach. The idea is that everything here describes the person that is not going to be on the six o'clock news, is not gonna be on the front page of the Dayton Daily News, is not gonna be on social media because there was something secret going on in her life that now everybody knows about. That people who know her know this person is legit. She is for reals. She knows what she's about, and she has an integrated life. That's the idea. Now, why is that important? Because now more than ever, the church faith is, is under attack, isn't it? And if you're not real, people have, they have realometers, antennas on their head, and they know when someone's just playing a game, someone's just, they're, they're not really, and that's not an authentic thing in their life. And they got something going on on the side. And it is so critical today that, that we have people who are authentic. I had someone ask me this a couple weeks ago, and it was a great question. They said, who are the people around Southbrook you worry the most about, and who are the people you worry the least about? That was a great question. And I said, I think I have an answer. Uh, I said, clearly, the people I worry most about are religious people who they, they, they might be there 51 weeks a year, but they really, in their mind, they only think they need paint on their trim of their house. They, they, just need, you know, they just need to add to their already together life, but they're not really going deep into the foundation of their life. They just kind of, they keep the outside of the house trimmed and painted. I worry about them because the foundation of their life is really shaky. They've not delved deep into reality of who they are. And someday that foundation is going to get them. But I said, oh, people who I worry least about, easy. My, our drunks and drug addicts. Yeah, you, if you peel away all the layer onions of Southbrook, our church is based in recovery. And the people I worry least about are the people who are in recovery. Because they're not image managing anymore. The people who are truly in recovery, they like, yeah, this is who I am. And I'm living every day to surrender my will to God and to live in community authentically and I don't, I don't manage my image anymore. 
and these are the people who are really having a high impact. They're the people that I worry about the least. I'm going to do a series. I'm going to do a series next year called Heaven and Heck. There's some of us are living in heck. We're not quite to hell yet, but we're kind of in the in between. Those are the people I worry about. The people who know they've been to hell, oh, I don't worry about them. Because they're, they're, they're the real deal. Now, listen to me. This, more than ever, if you like people, like you just, like you like people, and you're willing to drill down to discover your voice, your core competency, your character to deepen it through solitude and scripture and service, support, significant events, whatever works for you too. If you're willing to do that, then I'm telling you, there's going to be a time when you're going to need to be tapped on the shoulder and we need you to be an influencer over other people. And you're going to need to answer that call. The real requirement is that you live a life of, of transparency and authenticity. And if you're willing to do that and you like people, then it, um, it's game on for you. It's game on for you. You may say, oh, no, 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 I'm not. Yeah, you are. You are qualified because people on Crete became leaders. People who built the church on Crete were people who were formerly Cretans. That's what they were called, Cretans. Look at these words from 1 Timothy one, or I'm sorry, Titus 1, 10, verse 10. For there are a lot of rebels out there full of loose, confusing, deceiving talk. Those who were brought up religious and ought to know better are the worst. They've got to be shut up. They're disrupting entire families with their teaching and all for the sake of a fast buck. One of their own prophets said it best. And this is Epimenides, a Cretan prophet. Cretans are liars from the womb, barking dogs, lazy bellies. This is the leadership material of Crete, Okay. He certainly spoke the truth. Get on them right away. Stop that disease talk of Jewish make-believe and made-up rules so they can recover a robust faith. Everything is clean to the clean-minded. Nothing is clean to the dirty-minded unbelievers. They leave their dirty fingerprints on every thought and act. They say they know God, but their actions speak louder than their words. They're real creeps, disobedient, good-for-nothing. You got to stay here where Paul stands on this, don't you? He's saying we don't need religious people on Crete playing a game. We need authentic people who have been transformed. And I want to tell you, that's, that's more than ever what we need today, isn't it? More than ever, if you will be authentic, you can have an impact. I had a mentor in ministries. He, he retired in 2006, but for 40 years he led Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And I remember one time, uh, this was a few years before Bob retired, but he had such an influence in the city of Louisville and in their church, their, their auditorium held 9,000 people. So imagine this happening in a setting just like this. A lady who struggled with bipolar disorder in the middle of his preaching stood up in the middle and said, I am having an affair with Bob Russell. Yeah. And there was just silence until the security team got in and uh, gently as possible escorted her from the premises. And as you can imagine, it was a really awkward moment. But Bob's legacy, the coinage of credibility, won the day. He was able to pray for her. And, and uh, in leadership, you know, you have people who are your cheerleaders. But you have people who are out to get you. And, and he was able to graciously go through that. Well, the reason that that hit me is I thought, oh, my gosh, that ever happened. Whoa. But I was told this week that three weeks ago somebody called in the church and said, I hear that Charlie McMahon is having an affair. I've heard it from sources, and I was told that this week, and I thought, oh, man. I guess you know you're having an influence when you get accused of something like that. 
And it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking for Sherry. Sometimes I get asked, should, should, should certain kinds of people be allowed in the church? And, and I'll say, usually, I don't know about that person, but I do know this. Gossips do more damage than anybody. Gossips do more damage. And it was, it was painful. But I felt like on today, I needed to address that because I want to tell you the answer to that. No. Okay? No. No. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. I'll tell you some reasons why. Here's one reason. There's nothing I hold more sacred than my vow to Sherry and our trust that we have for each other. And uh, this, this uh, is so big to me because there's nothing I hold more sacred. This is why it was heartbreaking for her to hear that. Secondly, the second thing that I hold sacred is my trust with you, our trust with you. It is sacred to us. A dear friend that I've known forever gave a large check to me last week for day one. And I was shaken by it. And I thought, why am I so shaken by this? And, I, and, I, and on driving home, it, it was the last thing that happened last Sunday before I drove home. There were about four of us left in the building. And as I was driving home, I knew why I was shaking. I was literally shaking. It was because, oh my gosh, this is a statement of trust. This represents thousands of people. We have a sacred trust, don't we? We have chemistry. And there's nothing other than my sacred vow with Sherry that I hold more dear than our sacred trust. My goal in life first is if I am faithful to her and I fail you, I will still have been a success. But I really want to be faithful to her and to be effective with you. And so does our whole team. Now, I want to say that because I want to tell you this. Um, the reason that that rumor got out is because there was another pastor in our area who has recently confessed to that, and I got confused with them. Somebody confused me with them, and so it's, it's it, gossip is just bad, friends. It's just bad. And uh, I have friends who have fallen morally. We hear about it. And I want to tell you something that I'm so thankful for. And, I, and I, I'm just really uncomfortable talking about this, but sometimes things have to be talked about. I'm so thankful that as weird as I am, y'all accept me for who I am. Because that's why pastors fall. They can't be real. It's, it's, it's people more, guys more spiritual than I am and more competent than I am and more spiritual than I am and more spiritual. Did I say more spiritual than I am? <laughs> Have fallen morally because they're in these super spiritual places where they always be spiritual and, and eventually that implodes. It's a closed system that implodes upon itself. And I thank you that I'm a part of a place though you know how weird I am. I'm a weirdo. I am I had a guy tell me that 20 years ago, and I was so offended by that because I thought I was normal. Well, I'm not. The only thing normal about me is a setting on our dryer at home. You know, that I, there's nothing normal about me. I'm weird, and I thank you that you guys accept me for who I am. And so today, I wore a pair of shoes that Sherry got me a few years ago for Father's Day, and um, she got me these shoes, and I wore them today on purpose. And I want to like, do we have a picture of these? So they're the Jaws logo, okay? <laughs> They are Jaws shoes. So there's, a, there's the, the lady swimming on the top, and then dun, 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 the shark is coming, 
to get her, okay? And um, I'm not sure if it's right that I'm wearing these up here. I can tell you this. There is probably no other preacher in America today speaking to his church with a naked lady on his shoes, okay? I can, I can, just, I can just pretty much guarantee you that because and, and, and it's the greatest movie ever made. Many of you know it's my favorite movie. Um, but you accept me for that, and I cannot tell you how I wouldn't have lasted in a real religious setting. I wouldn't have. I would have imploded, and I thank you. I thank you, and Sherry thanks you from the bottom of our heart. Our family has challenges like yours did. I'm tired right now, and part of it is because it's been a long ministry season. We've launched a lot of stuff, but we've gone through family challenges. My extended family is a mess, and if I had to come to a place where I couldn't be some level of in a social setting authentic, I would have been out of this a long time ago, and I thank you that we can set the pace of saying, here, we're only as sick as our secrets, right? We're only as sick as our secrets. And I want to leave you. I'm going to be done teaching for a couple months. I'll be around, but I'll be done teaching for a couple months. And I want to leave you with Paul's words to Titus in chapter 2. And nothing could say it better. Here as we are, living on Crete, where it feels crazy, than these words Paul gives to someone, Titus, who's in the same position I'm in. Titus, your job is to speak out on the things that make for solid doctrine. Guide older men, that's any man over 58, <laughs> into lives of temperance, dignity, and wisdom, into healthy faith, love, and endurance. Guide older women, I'm not going there, okay? <laughs> Into lives of reverence, so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks. This was a problem on Crete, but models of goodness. This is the word of Titus, by the way. You'll read it, you'll see it. It's all about goodness, goodness, goodness. By looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children, be virtuous and pure, keep a good house. This was a different culture than the one we're living in right now and certainly not as politically correct. Be good wives. We don't want anyone looking down on God's message because of their behavior. The New International translates that, live lives that make the gospel attractive. Also, guide the young men to live disciplined lives. But mostly show them all this by doing it yourself, Titus. Incorruptible in your teaching. Your words solid and sane. Then anyone who's dead set against us when he finds nothing weird or misguided might eventually come around. Guide slaves. There were six million in the Roman Empire. Guide slaves to subvert the Roman Empire. How? They did eventually. By being loyal workers, a bonus to their masters. No backtalk, no petty thievery. Then their good character will shine through their actions, adding luster to the teaching of our Savior God. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of. 
and now Southbrook, because this is who we want to be. Say these next three words with me, will you? Energetic in goodness. Isn't that good? Tell them all this. Build up their courage. Discipline them. If they get out of line, you're in charge. And don't let anyone put you down. Those are good words, aren't they? Is that not who we want to be, Southbrook? I know a lot of you have heard these apocryphal stories about how great Southbrook was back in the day. I'm telling you, friends, the old days are not the good old days. Trust me. These are the good old days. And our best days are ahead of us. But when we tap you on the shoulder, we're going to need you to answer, to be an influencer, to be a mentor, to be a discipler, to be a leader. Because God made you for that. Let's pray. So, Father, my 35 minutes are about up where, uh, you know, I gotta, can't have a long sermon on a beautiful Sunday. And uh, besides, I want to go to the Indy 500 uh, TV screen right now. And we're closing today. We're closing this season for me, being up here. And, um, you know, we're not, we're not just a spiritual TED Talk. This is a community of faith. Iron sharpens iron. We sharpen one another. We, we impact one another more than we realize. Southbrook's been given a great stewardship of influence. And now it's time for those who've been sitting in these brown seats, when the time comes to receive that tap on the shoulder. The time is now for us to dig into our competencies, our characters, our chemistries, to dig in to leveraging those to the max so that Christ may come to Crete. So that Christ may come to Dayton in a, in a new, fresh way. Because, Father, it's not working out there. It's not working. It's not working. But the gospel is still the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And we are not ashamed. So now, as we go into summer, we thank you. We especially want to thank you for all who are here who have served in our military who have served our nation, for families who are here, who have had loved ones wounded or paid the ultimate price, that we could sit here today with no fear. And we thank you for that. And we pray that tomorrow we'll take advantage of that opportunity to honor the fact that freedom is not free. Someone paid for our freedom. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that Paul spoke of there in Titus, of Jesus. And we do this in his name for his honor. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We'll see you soon, everybody.